Peak. Great to see you. What an awesome time of worship this morning. And so I want to welcome you. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here. So whether you're here inside the worship center or out on the patio on this beautiful day, I uh, just want to uh, welcome you. Hey, before we go into our time of teaching, just a couple of quick things I want to share as well. Is that a lot of you know that about once a month, Lynn and I host what we call a Next Step Dessert, kind of designed for newer people, just to, to meet, uh, meet you, learn a little bit of your story, a little bit of the Rocky Peak story, a little bit of Lynn and my story. Uh, we normally don't, we don't always announce that because usually they fill up in advance, but we have one uh, this, uh, this uh, Saturday night here on campus, and if you're interested, we still have some room for that. Uh, secondly, um, just want to mention, we, we have, it's been in the program, but we haven't really highlighted that if you've uh, been to Israel, you know, one of the highlights of our trip is our guide there. Uh, his name is Ronen uh, Ben Moshe, which means Ronen, son of Moses. Uh, and uh, uh, Ronen is actually coming to our campus this Tuesday night at seven o'clock over in the Ridge. So if uh, he's gonna be speaking about Israel, archeology, span some things like that, it's, it's really kind of for anyone who uh, wants to learn more about Israel. So uh, make sure you know that. And then just three weeks from tonight, we kick off our new course called the Movement movement course that we offer a couple times a year, uh, which is sort of the path to partnership or we become uh, becoming like a member here. So just kind of uh, highlight those three things. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So if you uh, haven't done so already, I encourage you to reach inside your program and take out the green and white message note sheet. We're definitely use it today. And if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Well, Lord, we're just excited to be here in your house underneath your leadership. And we're so thankful that when we come to you, Lord, you not only forgive us uh, our sins, but you, you fill us, you give us a gift of your Holy Spirit that you promised would come to lead us and guide us and empower us to live a whole new life. And so as we explore that more today, Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes uh, in, the, kind of in the spiritual realm, that we would understand this new power that we've received to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, well, our story starts today uh, uh, at a time long, long ago and in a far and distant land. And uh, this is not the, the country where he was born. It's not the country he was raised. In fact, he, he was brought here as a young man in his 20s uh, against his will. And uh, it was a very traumatic season in his life, uh, being, being shipped so far away from home. Uh, and yet, uh, this, this, uh, this experience here, this coming to this land where it's been so traumatic has also led him to a new season in his life where he's discovered a new sense of uh, calling, some new gifts that are truly amazing and will make him one day uh, incredibly famous. And, uh, and so on this particular day, he's, he's in his house, he's been dictating uh, a message to his secretary. And uh, after he finishes the dictation, he, he looks at him and he says, would you, would you read that back to me and just kind of repeat back what I just dictated, but nice and slowly, because I want to take it all in. And so as his secretary begins to dictate, he finds that he, his mind is, is kind of flowing out to the future. And he's listening to this bold and powerful prediction that he has just made. And he's wondering when, where, and how, how will this prediction one day come true? Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in the last four weeks. It's the fifth week. It's kind of the halfway point of this series. It's called Supernatural, Discovering Your True Identity. And if you're brand new, a special welcome to you. Um, but this series, in a, in a nutshell, is, is basically goes like this, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, when we, we give our life to Jesus, that uh, the Bible says that we, we step over an invisible line from the kingdom of, kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and something happens to us. It's something that I've described as something that's very deep, um, something that's incredibly profound, something very powerful that really changes us at the core and it leads to a whole new sense of calling, a whole new calling in life, a new uh, perspective, a new kind of sense of purpose, um, a, a new community, as we talked about last week, this new community of, of God, uh, a new relationship with culture at large, uh, a new enemy that we'll talk about in a few weeks, and then also a new destiny. But one of the things that also leads to is a new power. That the Bible is, is incredibly clear that when we come to Jesus, we receive this new power 
that is, enables us to, to change and to grow, to be transformed, to become the people we were created to be. And so that's the topic on the table today, this new power that we receive when we come to Christ. Now, what I want to do is I want to start with sort of a big picture look at what the Bible says about this new power, and then come back and spend most of our time talking about what does it take for us to access and experience this new power in a more kind of predictable, more consistent, kind of more profound way. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Supernatural, the, the Promise of Power. So let's start with this big picture. So when you talk about the promise of power, um, that, that we have to go back, it's like this is not something that started with Jesus. This promise actually started with the ancient, uh, ancient prophets of Israel. Uh, for, for example, today we started the, the day with a story of a young man who has uh, been brought to this, this foreign land against his will. That uh, he was not born here, was not raised here, but he was taken away from his homeland. It's a very traumatic experience. And yet, once in this new country, he's discovered a new calling on his life. He's discovered uh, a new gifting that is one day going to make him very famous. Well, this, this is a true story. Uh, this is my version of the story of the prophet Ezekiel who was born in Jerusalem, uh, that in the 590s BC, the, the nation of uh, Babylon came in kind of the second time to conquer, uh, kind of reconquer Israel. And they took with them many, many people who had grown up in Jerusalem as exiles away to Babylon, a thousand miles away. And Ezekiel was one of those men. He'd been born into a priestly family, so he was destined to be a priest. But that doesn't happen. You don't become a priest until you're 30 years old. And so he was not yet 30. And so he's taken to this far distant land, which has got to be incredibly traumatic. But once he gets there, God begins to reveal himself to Ezekiel in an incredibly profound way and calls him to be a prophet to the nation and begins, begins to give him many predictions about the future, some in the near future about the, what's going to happen in the nation, some in the distant future. And so uh, on this particular day that I've described, he has just dictated to his, uh, to his secretary, that part of the story I made up, but he's kind of dictated it uh, to his secretary. We know that that's how Jeremiah would do prophecy. So I thought, hey, it works for Jeremiah, it works for Ezekiel. Uh, and so he's dictating, he's, uh, hey, read this back. Well, the prophecy is one of the most profound and powerful promises of power that God would one day pour out on his people. And I want you to see it there. It's in uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. Some will be familiar, some not. But, but remember, the reason that Israel is going into exile, the reason that they're losing their homeland is for hundreds of years. They've rebelled against God to the point where there is no more remedy. And God says, that's it. You're losing the promised land. So that, that's why they're there. And so in that context, God speaks to, uh, to Ezekiel and he says, there'll come a day when I will sprinkle clean water on you. Speaking of like forgiveness, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new what? I want you to catch this. So the prophecy is that one day God will return to his people and that he will not only forgive their sins, but he will begin to change them from the inside out. So when Israel came out of the promised land, God had met them at Mount Sinai. They'd entered into covenant uh, with him that he would be their God, they would be his people, and there was rules of the relationship. But they violated those rules for hundreds of years, and so, so it's just not working. This plan is not working. Telling them what to do uh, is not working. They're not capable of listening and following. Their hearts are leading them astray. So God says, in the future, I will do something supernatural. I'll not only tell you what to do, I will change you from the inside out so you want to do it and you have the power to do it. And so he says, I will cleanse you from your impurities, all your idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone, your hard-hearted, rebellious uh, heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a tender-hearted, obedient uh, heart. And I will, uh, he says, and I will put, catch this, I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you from the inside out. I'll move you. I'll give you the desire I'll give you the power uh, to follow my decrees and be careful to 
keep my laws. So this is one of the first and one of the most important promises in the Old Testament that one day God would return to his people, not only forgive their sins, but pour out his spirit that changed them from the inside out so they have the power and the desire to follow him, right? So, so this is one of many promises we see in the Old Testament. And of course, these are the promises that are fulfilled when Jesus came. The promise was one day God would return to his people through the Messiah. He would pour out his spirit, change it from the inside out. This is exactly what happened when Jesus came. And you remember when John the Baptist, back in John chapter one, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said a couple things about him. He said, first of all, there's the Lamb of God who does what? who takes away the sin of the world. That's the forgiveness piece. But he also said, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. There's the second piece, right? And so, the, so, so what we see as we step into the New Testament, the coming of Jesus with his life, his death, his resurrection, and then after he leaves the pouring out of his spirit on the day of Pentecost, we're seeing the fulfillment of these. We've stepped into a new era in human history where God is now pouring out his spirit on his people. And of course, as you move into the New Testament, the New Testament constantly teaches or assumes this reality. So the, the, the New Testament's constantly calling us to rise up and be who we are. You're no longer who you were. You've died with Christ. You've resurrected with Christ. So, so now, like in Romans uh, chapter eight, Paul will say, so, uh, by, uh, so now that you've, you're dead with Christ, you've risen, so put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit so you will live. Constantly we're told this, uh, Colossians 3, uh, take off the old man, like the old person, like an old set of clothes, and put on the new person, be clothed with Christ. And so the New Testament constantly teaches and affirms and assumes that as followers of Jesus, something has happened to us that we have this power to live a new life. I think of 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says that through our knowledge of Jesus, that we have received everything we need for a life of godliness now, right? So this is a picture the New Testament paints that when you came to Jesus or when you do come to Jesus, something is going to happen. You're going to be changed at the core and you're going to receive the gift of his spirit and now you're going to have the power to change you did not have before. It's a constant teaching and assumption of the New Testament. But the question is, the interesting thing is, as you look at our lives, as you look at the lives of different believers throughout history, it seems as you look at our lives, even in different seasons of our life, there are often times when, when there are certain believers who seem to be very aware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're very aware of his presence in their life, his leading. Uh, he has enabled them to leave their old life behind and move on. They're in a process of uh, of transformation. It's very evident. They're changing, they're growing. There are other believers that not so much. For whatever reason, they don't seem to be growing. They seem to be stuck in kind of their old sin patterns, uh, whether it's like they you know, can't get free from certain sin, it's pornography or sexual sin, or we can't, we can't uh, overcome that. Or, or maybe it's, it's uh, just like in our character, like or, or we have an anger issue and it just keeps coming up, we just can't seem to get by it. And so, so you kind of see this disparity among believers, sometimes even in our own life, sometimes even at different seasons of our life. So the question is, if, if the Bible, if Jesus, the apostles, the world, is constantly saying that this is who you are in Christ, you're, you're dead, you've risen, you have the power, so use it. If the, if the Bible's telling us that, why is it sometimes in our lives we don't experience that? And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about that. And I think one of the things that that is, we need to say right at the top, is that there is some mystery to this, right? There is some mystery to this. Why, why things suddenly start clicking for us at one point that they didn't at another? Every one of us is our own spiritual kind of journey, our path to power, if you will, and, and God's gonna work with each of us uniquely because we're different. And yet, as you study the word, as you look throughout human history, those who've gone before us, 
who have walked with Jesus and discovered kind of this, this new power of the Spirit as the New Testament describes, that, that often what you find is that there's certain common ingredients in the journey. There are certain predictable uh, kind of trail markers along the way. So we're talking about this kind of path to power. Uh, those who have gone before us, the word and so on, will kind of mark the path. Here are some of the ingredients on the path to power. And so today what I want to do is I want to highlight for you five key ingredients or kind of trail markers that kind of point the path. So you know how this works. Like if you're, you're hiking at your Yosemite, it says Nevada Falls this way, Mist Trail this way, right? It's telling you, hey, this is the way, how many miles? What I'm suggesting is that God has left us trail markers on the path to say, this is the way, walk ye in it, All right? And so, so what I want you to do today as we talk about these five trail markers First of all, I want you to use these as a checklist for your life. Uh, as we go along, I want to say, hey, have you seen this trail marker? Have you experienced this, the reality of this marker in your life? Uh, have you ignored this trail marker? Is this something that the Holy Spirit wants to use? And I think that's especially it today. That as we talk about these five trail markers, the, the question is, if, if you're in a place where you say like, yeah, I feel like I need more power in my walk with Christ, power to grow, power to change, power to leave sin behind, power to share Jesus, power to be transformed, whatever it is, if you're feeling that, I want you to be watching and kind of asking the Holy Spirit, hey, is there any of these five that are kind of parking, marking the trail for me? This is sort of my next step, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Supernatural, the Path to Power. Now, what I'll do is I'm going to give you a keyword for each one. Uh, for several, I'll give you several keywords. I'll give you the one that's for the blank, but I'm also going to give you a couple others to help understand it because I've kind of struggled at times, like, what's the best word? So I'll just give them all and you can decide. So here we go. The first word, the, the first trail marker is the word hunger. One of the things that you see in the Bible over and over again is that God responds to those who are hungry for him. God responds to those who are really seeking him for answers. We see this throughout the Bible, this, this phrase, that you, like in our life group study this week, you'll see it several times, that often throughout the Bible, God will say to his people, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart, right? So he doesn't say, you will seek me and find me when you seek me half-heartedly. Right? That's the heretical version. <laughs> uh, uh, he doesn't say like, hey, uh, you'll seek me and find me when you kind of occasionally uh, look for me. Right? Well, what he constantly says is you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Uh, a great example, this is there in your note sheet, Jeremiah 29, 13. This is actually a very famous passage. In fact, for some of you, you will have memorized the verses before this as your life verse. So the, the verses that come before this are very famous, where God says to Israel, uh, remember they're in Babylon now, in exile, and he says, uh, I know the plants that I have for you. Plans to give you for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. How many of you are familiar with that verse? You've heard that? Yeah, very famous. Right? Put it on the coffee table, or put it on the wall, uh, write it on the bathroom, you know, I'm gonna put it on the card in our bathroom, you know, that God has a plan for us. It's a good plan that he's working to carry out that plan. Beautiful. <coughs> However, we often ignore what comes after it. And this is what comes after it. <clears throat> you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All, your All right, so Israel, you're in exile. Your life is falling apart. It's horrible. Hey, but don't think I've forgotten you. I love you. I know you. I have a plan for you. It's a good plan, not a bad plan. Just, and here's when you'll find it. You'll experience this plan that I have for you when you get serious. 
then you start, start seeking me with all your heart. There are many people that are claiming the same, God has a plan for my life, it's for good enough. We're claiming that, but we're not seeking him with all of our heart. And so we stay in Babylon. Right? We stay in exile. So this is something that Jesus taught, of course, as well, in the Sermon on the Mount. Look what he says there in Matthew 5. Blessed, in other words, uh, living under the blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Mm -hmm. Like in the Greek, like satisfied, like when you've had a full meal and you're full. But catch the corollary. Those who don't, who are not hungry and thirsty, will go hungry. See? So, so here's a, a very important, and I think in some ways this is the most important, uh, most important of the five, at least to start with, it, the question is, how hungry are, are you? It's an interesting thing. You can take two Christians. Let me give you two Christians, right? They both come to Jesus. They both, uh, they both given their life to Jesus. And we'll say that they're, you know, they're fairly far along, 10 years into their relationship, right? You take two Christians and contrast them. One person uh, is, is really not experiencing what they want, the power of God. No, they're, so, they're kind of struggling with certain sin. They're not being transformed. And, and so what, what happens, they read their Bible and they say, well, I don't get this. I mean, the Bible says I have the Holy Spirit. I, I don't, I'm not really aware of the Holy Spirit in my life. The Bible says I have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says I, I'm dead with Christ and I've risen, but I don't feel dead. I feel very alive to sin. And there's these sins in my life that I, I keep on trying to overcome. And I ask God to free me, but I'm not overcoming. What's wrong with this picture? And, and this person says, I, I'm going to seek the Lord. Because this is what the word says, this is what the word says I am, and so I'm going to seek him until I find. And then there's another, the other Christian, it's still the same thing. They're struggling with porn all the time. Maybe it's a, a mom who's always screaming at her kids and asking God to give me more patience, but every day screams more. And, and it just, we're not, you know, we, we talk about, yeah, we should be in the word, I know, but every time I start, it just doesn't really happen for me. And our character just isn't, whatever the issue is. <clears throat> but there are some Christians, that's their experience. And their response is, yeah, that's the way it is. So there's this huge gap between who the Bible says we are and who we are. But the question is, how do you respond to that gap? Do you respond to, to seeking the Lord for what's the answer, or do you respond with, oh yeah, well, everyone's like that. Everyone in my life group, all my friends are like that. We all yell at our kids. And uh, we all, we've got a savings account for the therapy, it's coming later, but you know, we, that's how we're dealing with this, right? Yeah, yeah, I know this, but you know, I know, but I know every, every guy I know struggles with porn, you know, and, and so it's like, yeah, I shouldn't do it, but you know, it's just the way, you know, I just hope my wife doesn't find out. You know, it's just because I'd be a disaster. But, right, so, so there's, are you seeing the two different kinds of responses? And what, I'm, what you see as you study church histories, you study the Bible, what you see is that people who discover how to tap into the power of God are people who are not satisfied. People who are, are gonna seek the Lord to find answers, right? I mean, number two. Well, that's not number two. Let's give me a, let me give you a quote. Uh, Larry Crabb, you know, is a famous Christian counselor. He's now gotten to be with Jesus, but he, he writes in his book, uh, uh, Finding God. He says, you know, we find God to the degree we want to find him. Until our passion for finding God exceeds all other passions, and until we long to know him as our Lord and friend, catch us more than to use him to get what we want the way a spoiled child uses a rich father, we will not find him as deeply as he longs to be found. God wants to let us find him. God delights to be discovered. He's not playing hard to get, but there's something about the way we are and who he is makes it necessary for us to want him more than we want anyone or anything else before we can find him. And then he quotes Jeremiah 29. We just read, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So, so here's my first question. I, first question on this path to power is how hungry are you, right? And, and of course, if we, if we just honestly say, I'm not, this is the place where we start. 
God, I can't change my own heart. I can't create this hunger for you, but I ask you to change my heart and show me what it takes to develop a hungry heart. That's where the journey begins. Number two, the second key word, and again, I struggled with this word, but let me give it to you. The word is revelation. And what I mean by this is one of the key components in us discovering the reality of the Holy Spirit in our life and his power, learning how to tap into his power, is supernatural revelation, where God opens the eyes of our heart. You might call it supernatural insight. Now, if you stop and think about it, this gift of supernatural insight, what the Apostle Paul calls the eyes of my heart being enlightened, supernatural insight plays a huge role in our Christian journey from beginning to end. Like, think with me, uh, Matthew chapter 16, um, Peter uh, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do people say, think that I am? And uh, they said, well, word on the street is this. And they give him some answers. He said, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, you remember, says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And then here's what Jesus said to him. He said, Peter, you're incredibly blessed. He says, because flesh and blood did not, catch this, reveal that to you but my Father's in heaven. In other words, hey, this is not something you figured out on your own. It's not something that someone taught you, but my Father has revealed it. He's opened your eyes spiritually. And so, so we understand this, that, that when we come to Jesus, this is how we start our journey. We come to Jesus because the Holy Spirit begins opening our eyes to who Jesus is and why his death for us matters. Without that, we can't come to Jesus, right? So, so that's how we start our spiritual journey. But here's what I want you to catch, is that spiritual revelation is not just for the start of our journey, it's for every stage of our journey. That, that if we're going to grow, if we're gonna understand the reality of the Holy Spirit, if we're gonna sense his presence in our life, if we're gonna hear his voice, if we're gonna be transformed by him, learn how to trust him, if we're gonna understand that we know we truly are dead with Christ and we have the power to rise that, if we're gonna truly understand these realities, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to them. Now, it's interesting. Uh, if you were here the second week of this series, um, I did a message called The Epic Vision. And if you were here, you remember that it was based on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, where Paul lays out this epic grand vision from before creation starts to the end of creation, the new creation, of how God is working in our lives to draw us to himself and <coughs> calls to be part of this kind of epic project uh, that God is, is doing in Christ. And if you remember in there that we learned seven key words. I, I highlighted seven key words. This is who the Bible, who God is, who we are, right? So we talked about this, that, that we, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the truth I know about you, that number one, you were chosen before time. Number two, you've been forgiven for all crimes against the king. Number three, you've been adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges that comes, being a son or daughter of, of the Lord. Of, of the king. Uh, number four, you've been filled. You've been received the gift of his Holy Spirit to lead and guide and empower you. Number five, you've been uniquely gifted to join Jesus in this epic project of bringing all heaven and earth healed and restored under his leadership, that you've been destined uh, to share the next life. We talked about the, the week three, and then that you're, you're deeply loved. This awful as well. So we talked about these seven realities. I don't know if you remember this, but after Paul lays out the epic vision, he immediately goes into a prayer for these Ephesian Christians. And, and I point out the time, he does not pray that God would do something new. He doesn't pray that God would give them something they don't have. What he prays is that God would give them, catch this, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you could know the reality of what I've just told you. We talk, there's a big difference about, about believing theologically I'm forgiven and truly experiencing the reality that so you truly feel free from your past. It's a huge reality. There's a huge difference between being theologically believing that there's a next life and, and living in the reality. So it impacts your everyday choices. It's just so real to you, right? And I want you to look what he says. <coughs> 
He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and what? Revelation. Circle that. That's why I'm using this word. This aha moment that God gives us where, where spiritual truth becomes alive or sometimes a, the, this truth, is like, the, the, like the revelation comes like the rising of a sun. We just see it uh, slowly over time. We begin to realize something is true. He says, so I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, glorious Father, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So you can know him better. Or in the Greek, it just says, so you can know him. Like Paul, I've just described him. He says, but, but you need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to really know him in a firsthand way in your life. And he says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be what? Enlightened. There's another good word. Revelation, insight, enlightenment. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened uh, so that you might know the hope to which he's called you. What's he talking about? The, the future life that's coming, that that might become real to you. Someone's calling me. Um, uh, next, th that you would also know the, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What's he talking about? This new family of God this new race of people that we become a part of, that Dre talked about last weekend, that we would, we would know that incredible beauty, the glory of being part of that new humanity. He says, and finally, you need the eyes of your heart enlightened so you know that his incomparably great power for us who believe. Underline that word power. That's our topic on the table. Paul says, as followers of Jesus, you have access to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says, but you need God to open the eyes of your heart so you realize it. It, it doesn't do any good for you to have the power unless you know you have the power so you, and know how to access it, right? So, so in our Christian life, that to, to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's gonna be times where we, we just really need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to the reality that Christ really does live in us. That if I trust him, yes, he will live his life out of me. That I truly am crucified with Christ. That I really have the Holy Spirit. I'm aware of that. It's not just theological. I'm aware. I sense his presence. And I sense his leading. We need, the Holy, we, we need God to open the eyes of our heart. Okay? That's two. Number, that's Revelation. Number three. The third key word is the word Surrender. Now, I could have used the word obedience here. I debated that. But if so, if you write obedience, I'm talking about a very deep obedience, right? Because there's lots of areas we call, but they're, 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 when I'm talking about surrender, I'm talking about a very deep surrender at the core of your being that you belong to God and, and a surrender of all you are and all you have. And what we see throughout the Bible and throughout church history and contemporary life is that when we come to a place where we, we kind of embrace the truth that when Jesus died for us, we, we died with him. We, we no longer belong to him. My body isn't mine. My body belongs to Jesus. He purchased it with his blood. And when we come to a place where it's no longer, hey, do I obey this or do I obey that? But hey, I just belong to him. That, that at that point, it releases the power of the Holy Spirit in our life in a new way. There's a great verse in Romans chapter 12. It's not in your note sheet, but you'll be familiar with it. Many of you will, where Paul says, I urge you, my brothers, in light of God's amazing mercy to us, what he's done for us in Christ, he says that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, you'd bring an animal and you'd kill it. It'd be a dead sacrifice. He says, as, as New Testament Christians, we don't bring sacrifice. Our life is the sacrifice. We live for him. And, and so sometimes learning how to surrender comes through a lot of small surrenders. Sometimes it's a major surrender. As you look throughout church history, people who have walked with God, that often they will point to certain key moments in their life where God asked them to lay their Isaac on the altar. Something big, something that means like life to them, something that, that when, when God says, I want you to, to surrender that to me, it feels like giving up your very life. 
But what happens is there's a, a new release of power. And you see this throughout the Bible, that when we obey that God's power is released in our life, one of the best examples I like is in the book of Acts. You know, after Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. He's poured out in his people. The Holy Spirit's working in amazing ways. The apostles are doing miracles. They're preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Thousands are coming to Christ. They're, these Christians, this new community, they're sharing their possessions, they're loving. One, it's just like an amazing thing's happening. And in the midst of that, this is in the early days of the church of Jerusalem, the uh, Jewish high court, the same one that sentenced Jesus to death, they're like, we gotta get these guys. They keep blaming us for killing Jesus. We gotta stop them. So they call them in and they, they kind of warn them. And in the midst of one of those trial scenes, um, Peter says, let me tell you why these miracles are happening. Let me tell you why uh, so many people are coming to Christ, why lives are being transformed. And this is what he says there in your note sheet, Acts 5. He says, we, talking about the apostles, John, John and him, we are witnesses of these things, the resurrection of Jesus. We've saw it firsthand. He says, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who, what? Obey. Obey. And can I tell you something, I've seen this time and time again, that when someone gets serious with God and gets hungry enough, I, I want to know you, I want to experience your power, I'm willing, whatever it is, you show me, and the Lord shows them there's something that, that, that yes, I surrender that God to you. You see it over and over again, that all of a sudden they move into a whole new phase of their Christian experience. Now, let me ask you, did they receive new power at that point? No, it was always there. They just weren't accessing it because they were not being true to who they really are. We're gonna talk about that more next weekend, all right? Number four. The fourth word, this is the hardest word for me to explain. Uh, this is the hardest dynamic for me to explain. And so if by the time I'm done with number four, it's not clear to you, just let's just assume it's my fault, all right? So I'm gonna give you a couple different words. I'm gonna do my best to describe it and we'll see how it goes. The, the key word here is the word rest. I'm not talking about physical rest. I'm talking about a spiritual rest, a posture of rest. So the words that I debated with myself whether to put in would be the word faith or the word trust. So what we see in the Bible from beginning to end is that, that when we trust God, it releases his power in our life, right? You see it from Moses, you see it from the Red Sea, you see it through the teaching of Jesus and hey, it's, your faith has made you well. That there's a, like, when we truly trust God to work, it releases him to work. And so I think we understand this at the start of our spiritual journey. Like, let me give you an example. Like, when someone comes to Jesus, like, how does someone get saved, right? Well, we, we get saved when we come to the place, we realize who Jesus is, and we realize, like, why he died for us. And, and we realize that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to get a get-out-of-jail-free card, that we are all fallen people. We've rebelled against the creator. There's a sentence of death over our life. And it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can be forgiven, right? Through his death for us, right? And so we come to a certain place where we, we trust in Jesus. We trust in his death. We give up trying to save ourselves. We, we start trusting Jesus to save us. We, we rest in what he has done for us as opposed to working ourselves to achieve our salvation. Are you with me on this? Okay, so we get this, that, that trust or faith or rest is how we start our spiritual journey. But here's what I want you to catch, that trust or faith or rest is how we continue our journey that deep down, each of us, we either trust in ourselves to change ourselves, or we trust in Jesus to change us. And this is one of the hardest lessons of life to learn, especially for those people who are the hungriest to grow. 
Because our natural instinct, when we start getting hungry to grow, our, our natural instinct is to take responsibility for our growth. In other words, okay, I'm gonna pursue God and so I'm gonna reach him, I'm gonna change myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna conquer this sin, I'm gonna conquer this pornography, I'm gonna conquer this anger, I'm gonna conquer this bitterness. And the way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna read scripture and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask God and I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote scripture, I'm gonna use all the willpower I have to try to change the way I think and feel. And this is kind of natural. So what we do as human beings. I don't know if you've ever tried to teach a two-year-old to tie their shoes or offered to help them. If you have, you may have experienced this, is that, that often you go to say, would you like me to tie your shoes? And they say, no, I'll do it myself. And if you're an inexperienced parent, you say, no, let me help you. And I'll help you and I'll show you. But what you, you learn over time is that, no, they want to do it themselves. As a parent, you know they don't have the capacity to do it themselves. But they don't know that. And they're not ready to trust you until they realize they can't do it. Can I tell you something? It's what we go through spiritually. Deep down, we tend to believe, if I just read the Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I fast, if I try harder, I can change myself. We tend to believe that. And often the Lord has to take us on a journey like the two-year-old where we come to the end of ourselves and we come to a place of utter helplessness. We realize, I, I, can't, I can't change this. This whole anger thing, this whole lust thing, this whole hatred thing, this whole laziness thing, like, like I, can't, I can't make myself like Jesus. And often the Lord is there is like, I've been waiting for you, right? That ultimately we either trust ourselves to change ourselves or we trust Jesus to change us. Now, this doesn't mean that we are passive in the whole process. Like, let me give you an illustration. Uh, in the nation of Israel, remember when they came out of the, the wilderness, their first assignment when they crossed the Jordan, the first place they were to conquer was Jericho. And Jericho was very intimidating. It was a walled city. They didn't know how they were going to do this. And, and God gave them some very surprising instructions. Remember, he told them to march around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day to march around seven times. So he said, then I'll give, them, I'll give Jericho into your hands. And you remember, they just, okay, that doesn't make any sense. We'll just trust you. They just did that. And you remember the seventh day, the walls come tumbling down, and they're able to go in and capture the city. Now, what's really interesting, though, is you ask yourself the question, why did God do that? I mean, there's, this is the only time in all their history where they're told to march around a city and God's going to knock the walls down. Only time. And I'll tell you what I think. What I believe is that I think that God wanted them to understand at the very start of this journey of conquering the promised land is that the reason you're going to win is not because of what you do primarily. It's because of what I do. Like he wanted to teach him at the start that victory was from him and for them to trust him to give them victory. Now, in the subsequent paddles, there would be no other times like this. From the rest of the time, they would go out and they would put on their armor and they'd get their horses ready. They would fight like any, and if you were, look, if you were an outsider watching it, it would look like any other battle that Israel's just somehow winning against big odds. But, but they would be fighting. But internally, there's a huge difference between trusting in yourself to win the battle and trusting in God to win the battle. There's a great verse in Proverbs 21. This is not on your note sheet. You, I would encourage you to write it down. Proverbs 21, 31, where it says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. And, and so often in our life, and again, especially for, for those of us, so you, when you get really hungry and you're really pursuing God, that often this is a breakthrough moment 
when you, when you come to the place where you realize, I, I can't do this. And, and my job is, is not to have primary responsibility to change myself. I can't do that. I have secondary responsibility to listen and follow the Holy Spirit, but it's the Lord who gives the victory. So there in your note sheet, this, uh, this powerful word that the Lord gives to the prophet uh, Zechariah, it says, this is what the word of Yahweh, the Lord, says to Zerubbabel, the leader of the people, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh Almighty. And so we say all through the Bible, and this is often a breakthrough moment with, for believers when, when we begin, when the Holy Spirit, that revelation thing begins to open our eyes, that, it's, that, our, that our posture is one of trust and rest, which doesn't mean inactivity because we're still gonna suit up when he tells us to suit up. But it's a trust in the Lord. And so, so Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter two, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. And of course, as we know from this series, that we've all been crucified with Christ. And when we're baptized, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ, what? Lives in me. And, and that's the source. And he says, the life that I now live, I live by faith or by trust in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so Paul would often say, I work harder than all the rest, but it's not me, but it's the grace of God in me. Uh, he, he would say, for this I, I work and I labor according to his power, which works so powerfully in me. That, that, that Paul is trusting in Jesus to live his life through him. Now, number five. Number five is, what the, the key word here is training. And so as I just said, that when I talk about trusting the Lord, resting in his power, it doesn't mean that we don't have something to do. It simply means that what we do comes under the leadership of his spirit as he leads. And so many times the Lord is going, if you're gonna be transformed, um, if you're gonna be changed in your character, you, there, there's, a, there's a process that's gonna, that the Lord's gonna take you through. And he's gonna use many, many tools and weapons in that process, right? Um, and so there, there's things that he is going to use to train you to, to change who you are, um, but they're under his leadership. And we're not trusting the tools, we're trusting the Lord who's, who's working through those tools. Um, so let me give you an example. Let's say you and I were out of Starbucks together, and uh, we're having this conversation. I said, I want to make you an offer. And here's the offer. Uh, I want you this Saturday, this coming Saturday, there's a, uh, there's a marathon in San Diego, 26.4 miles. And so here's my offer. If you can run that marathon under a certain kind of reasonable amount of time, here's the time limit, I will give you a million dollars. All right? So let's say that you are reasonably healthy, but you're in horrible shape. Okay? So I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands. Like, <laughs> how many of you are identifying? Like, hey, he's talking about me. But, um, but are you with me there? So you're, like, you don't, you know, it's like, you're, you're, you know, you're phys like physically broken with you, um, but, but you're just in horrible shape. And so you say, okay, I'm taking it. You're, you're going, I don't know how I could do this. I can't even hardly walk up two flights of stairs without breathing hard, but a million bucks, you know, a million bucks, I'm going for it. And so you go down, you get the T-shirt, you know, you got to, got to go out, you buy some running shoes. Um, you, you may not be an athlete, but you want to look like one. And, and so, um, so you go out to run and, and you, run, you start that race, you know, and you've, you've been on the internet all week and you're learning, hey, you've learned how these races work and you learn how you get the Gatorade at certain key points and you got the gel packs, you're squeezing them in your mouth and you've never run a mile in your life, but you're, you're prepared. Well, here's the question. What are the chances of you completing that in a reasonable amount of time? Yeah, slim and none. There's, there's no way, you reason, you know, the reason why is you don't have the physical capacity to do that. You know, many times in our life, we, we want to, hey, we, we want to do the big thing. We want to forgive someone who's, who's really hurt us. We, wanna, we, we want to be done with pornography once and for all. We, we want to be transformed and love like Jesus. That's like our marathon. But we've never trained for it. It's like, 
it's like the equivalent of going out and trying to run a marriage. It's like, we have not, transformation is a process. We don't have the spiritual capacity to do what we want to do. And so the Holy Spirit will take us on a transformation process. And he'll use uh, just many different tools in our life. And you say, well, what kind of tools, what kind of practices will he use to train us? And, and, I, and I would start here. I would start just sort of like with the, the obvious, right? We talk about him here all the time. This is not like something new. We talk here about the three-legged stool approach, right, to following Jesus, that we all need large group times like this, you know, where you're receiving teaching that's opening your eyes to the word, where you can counter God in worship. And so we, we need a small group where we can roll up our sleeves and grow together and be ironing sharp and iron. We need that one-on-one -on -one time with God where we're, we're really learning his word and we're setting aside time where God can speak to us through his word or through his spirit, where we can process our lives together, where we can kind of write down what we're learning from him. I just, and it's an interesting thing because for here at Rocky Peak, this wouldn't be true of every church, but for here at Rocky Peak, there's no question in my mind which of these legs is the weakest. It's this time one-on-one -on -one with God. If you're here at Rocky Peak and you've been here for a while, chances are you're pretty regular here at worship. Not everyone, but you're probably regular. Chances are you're in a life group. But often we're neglecting this third, this third uh, leg of the stool. And, and what I'm realizing, the more, you know, the older I get, the, the more I grow, the more I interact with followers of Jesus, that it's pretty much impossible to live a transformed life when we're being inundated with lies constantly throughout the week, through media, through TV shows, through billboards, through talk shows, through politicians, we're constantly through social media, we're constantly taking in data that's shaping our mind to believe certain things. And then we give the Lord at best five minutes a day to speak to him, for him to speak into us. It's just no way. You might as say, I'm gonna run a marathon and I'm gonna train for five minutes a day. It's like, it just doesn't happen. So this is not a guilt thing, it's just understanding reality. If our minds, remember Romans 12 too, if our minds are gonna be transformed, if we're gonna be transformed in, is it by the renewing of our minds so we can experience God's will for our life, what is right and good and perfect, it, it takes more than five minutes a day. And for some of us, we, we're not giving five minutes a day and so the reality is, it's like, yeah, we, we want to follow Jesus. We want to learn how to forgive. We want to have power over these things. But the reality is, we're not training under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that has become no more, you know, it's become more apparent to me in the last two years than ever before in my life. Because as I've seen the level often of immaturity among believers during the crisis of the last couple of years. It's like crisis doesn't make you do something. Crisis reveals who, the truth about you. So if you wanna know how much patience, you wanna know how much love, how much joy is in your life for the spirit, like crisis reveals that. And so this is not at all a shame thing. It's not a shame thing. It's just, it's just like informing me as a pastor, like, wow, as a church, if we really want to follow Jesus and be transformed, we, we've got to be, more, we've got to be training. And again, not, not training on our own under the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he leads us. You know what? As we begin pursuing God with this three-legged stool and begin spending time with him, and that's why we start slow, we build up whatever, we, we create space for God to speak in our life. And you know what, men and women, what we need more than anything else is to hear the voice of God in our lives. And it's very hard to hear the voice of God when we're running 24-7, have all these other voices in our head, and we never slow down to listen. Right. But when we do start, when you see a Christian who's hungry for God, right, and then God begins to reveal kind of their next steps, and, and then often involves some surrender, and they surrender, and 
what you see is, is they come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He begins showing them the next steps. You got the basic three, but he begins showing for this person, he leads them to a podcast, something they really need to know. For this person, he brings three books in their life that are eye-opening for them. For this person, he brings them in contact with a mentor that's kind of a life-changing dimension for them. For this person, he's gonna, he's gonna teach them about fasting, something they've never even thought before, but they're gonna find is, as they begin to fast, that God is really gonna work in their life in a powerful way. And for this person, he's gonna say, hey, he's gonna lead them in a way that, they, hey, they need to get away from time to time, just for a day with the Lord. And it's, just, it's very different. It's like the Holy Spirit doesn't train us the same way. He trains us according to how we are wired. But we never get to that training unless we are giving that time. So the question is, in your life, um, what is the Lord doing? What's he highlighting? There on your note sheet, there's a passage from 1 Timothy 4.8, and I think I forgot some of this, this on here, but Paul's talking about the value of training. He says, you know, physical training is of some value. You know, we all know this. It's like, hey, being in shape, eating right, getting our sleep, there's some value. He says, but, but godliness has value for all things. Godliness, in other words, being transformed to be like our creator, to have right relationship with God and, and one another. He says, that has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so he goes on to say to Timothy, he says, so train yourself for godliness. That's the part that's missing, the most important part. Train yourself for godliness. Right. So, okay, so let's, let's go down to the final question. Supernatural, one key question. This will not take long. But here's the question, which of these trail markers is pointing your way forward? We're all on the path to power somewhere on the path, and, but which of these trail markers? One of the things I asked you to do at the beginning was to use this as a checklist. Where have you seen this true? Is this something for you? I asked you specifically, ask the Holy Spirit to highlight. And so, so my... my my hope is that the Holy Spirit is kind of highlighting something for you, kind of your next step. And the reality is, is these steps often overlap and interweave, right? So like I, like I said, when we get really hungry for God and seeking him, he begins to open our eyes, revelation, new things. Sometimes that requires a step of surrender. Sometimes that is an insight about trusting him instead of trusting ourselves. Sometimes it's about the next step of our training but the question is, kind of what is, what's your next step? And the reality is, remember that what the word tells us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have Jesus in you. You don't need more power. The power's turned on. You just have to learn how to plug in to that power. And, and so the question is kind of where are you on your journey? You know, one of the ministries I love here at Rocky Peak is this ministry we call Celebrate Recovery. And I think often there's a misconception that Celebrate Recovery is, is just for people that are maybe uh, uh, alcoholics or addicted to cocaine or something like that. But the reality is Celebrate Recovery is just a, a very intentional growth process that really uses these five uh, kind of pathways, markers, to, to lead us. And one of our visions for Celebrate Recovery is to kind of remove from it this idea that this is only for people like this or only for people like that. The reality is, is it's really designed for, for any of us who find an area of our life, you know, that's really holding us back from following Jesus, is, is causing problems. As they would say, hurts, habits, hangups. And, um, and so today I want to share a video with you about Celebrate Recovery, um, but it's, it's one man's story, but I want you to listen carefully as, we, as you go through this video, be looking for these five trail markers, all right? You're going to see them as they come. So let's turn our eyes to the screen. My name is Blaise Brink. I'm a business owner. I'm a father of four married for 33 years. I enjoy motorcycle riding, hiking, and taking my dogs to the beach. 
I grew up in a rural farming community in northern New Jersey. We had rolling hills, lots of fields, and a lot of cows. My dad had an anger issue. We were all afraid of my dad. We never knew when he was going to lash out, and what it was going to take, or when he would stop. My dad's anger wasn't the only thing that interrupted my idyllic, charming country life. When I was 11 years old, my best friend introduced me to uh, his porn stash. He had found the magazines that his father was hiding away, and that began a long journey of uh, pornography for me. Those years just, I think, cemented into my head what, uh, what sexuality was supposed to be like. Most people could hardly imagine addiction like that taking root at such a young age. But that is uh, my story when I was 11 years old. When I was 12, my mother went away on a weekend retreat and came back uh, having found Jesus. Surprisingly to me, later on that year, Jesus found me. I was overwhelmed at the love that I met at that point when God uh, let me know that, uh, that he accepted me just as I was, secrets and troubles and all. So in 1985, I surrendered to the call that God had put on my life and I went away to Bible College in Minneapolis where I met my soon-to-become wife. We graduated and seven days later we were married and about a year and a half later we went away on the mission field. Later we were living in Springfield, Missouri. My wife was giving birth to our third son. Things went wrong. She became uh, critically sick. That began a journey of three to four years of fighting for her life as she battled infections and various illnesses. The struggle just brought me to the lowest point of my life and I reached rock bottom. I was refueling every night by sitting in front of my computer searching out porn and uh, waking up with such self-loathing. And I crashed, I crashed very hard. So we moved to Phoenix. The arid climate was a healthier place for her to heal. I had a routine surgery uh, to remove some benign cysts. That ended up being a five-hour surgery that I woke up several times in. I was traumatized and kept seeing visions of my body being taken apart. I had horrible nightmares, and in my head, I was living out the hell that I had created for myself through my addiction, and my fear was overwhelming. My wife and I shared some wonderful times serving God in ministry, and I spent even years at a time free of the pornography, but I really did not understand the codependency that had such a stranglehold on my life or the issues that fueled it. Inevitably, uh, stress would come up. The challenges of life would um, push me to the edge and I would find myself trapped once again in the porn addiction. In 2013, I moved with my family to Woodland Hills, California. My daughter was attending Young Life and began attending Rocky Peak, and I joined her, and soon after, my wife and I joined a life group. In that life group, I met someone. He started talking about Celebrate Recovery in a, a way that really impressed me. It was in CR that I first heard people opening up and sharing the problems that they had that I shared yet they were talking openly with real words, not the Christianese form, words like pornography and masturbation. And I found the courage to, to face what I had been in denial so long about. As God began to peel back the layers and I understood more about the issues that lied underneath, things like pornography were just an acting out on the surface. Anger toward my children, toward my family, they were surface issues with underlying issues of codependency, people-pleasing, tied up with my religious pride that I couldn't address them alone. I couldn't understand them alone. But here in this community, talking through my issues, I began to actually understand me. 
In fact, it took peeling back those layers, moving past the denial of who I really was, for me to embrace who I am in Christ. God has worked so much change in my life in the last three and a half years that I hardly recognize the man in the mirror. Through CR, I was introduced to practical steps that I could follow on a daily basis, tools that would help me deal when the problems came up, and I was able to find real freedom to overcome the fears, to overcome the shame, and to walk with integrity, the integrity that allowed me the freedom to worship God, the freedom to know that uh, as long as I am where He wants me to be today, I'm in perfect communion with Him. I'm in perfect peace. It's a, a beautiful story of one man's uh, path to power, right? That kind of God, God bringing him along, learning these lessons. For many of you, for some of you, that that may be your next step is to, uh, to go to celebrate recovery and begin learning uh, how this path to power works. And uh, so let me pray right now, and then we're going to go into worship. So Father, we just come, and we've talked about some super important things today, and I'm sure that, that has touched some raw nerves for, for some uh, who are perhaps struggling with these things kind of this gap in their life between who you say they are and what they're actually experiencing. And Father, I pray that just by the power of your spirit, you'd be speaking to them right now and assuring them of your love and your desire to rescue them. That's who you are, to save them. And that Father, as they surrender to you and say, listen and follow, you'll lead them every step of the way to this, this new life and their life as well. And so, Lord, we, we pray now as a church that you would really be blowing through our church, through our lives with new fresh wind, the wind of your spirit, Lord, that we would not be out there trying to row ourselves to growth, but that we would, we would be lifting the, lifting the sails and catching the wind of your spirit as you lead us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.